0: Hospitals are empty, homeless shelters are empty, coronavirus cases aren't spiking. Great news, right? Not according to the mainstream media, which is hard at work inventing fake problems to frighten us. Then, the high school science experiment that locked down the world, Joe Biden's new nickname for President Trump, spoiler alert, it's super lame, and an explosive new allegation that Norma McCorvey, the pro-abortion plaintiff in Roe v. Wade, faked her pro-life Christian conversion. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. (music) Joe Biden, he just can't take his foot out of his mouth. He never seems able to do that. Uh, We'll get to all of that in a moment because we haven't spent nearly enough time on the 2020 race, which most people forgot is even happening. But I have to tell you before we get to Joe about my favorite fake problem. Because you know there are a lot of real problems, obviously. There's this epidemic that's going around the world. There's this huge lockdown, economic devastation, 30, 40 million people thrown out of work. So all, all these real problems caused by hysteria and alarmism. But the left keeps moving the goalposts. So initially the problem was there's not, we don't know anything about the virus. Now we do know things about the virus. Then the problem was we're not locking down fast enough. Well, we locked down the entire country. Then it was, we, and people are buying masks, which was bad. Then it was people are not buying masks, which is bad. Then it was, we don't have enough testing. Now we've got an even bigger problem. No one wants to take the test. We, d- we didn't have enough testing. The no- lack of testing was going to kill us. That's all we heard. The drumbeat from the mainstream media, from the left, even some people on the right told us this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now, look, we got a ton of tests. We have, we have so many tests that according to the Washington Post, we have too many tests. That's our new problem. Headline, as coronavirus testing expands, a new problem arises, not enough people to test. It took, it took three reporters, by the way, to write this piece. Four months into the U.S. coronavirus outbreak, tests for the virus finally are becoming widely available. Finally, Trump. geez. Like what? You couldn't get those tests out sooner? Gosh, we needed those tests, which uh, the Washington Post describes as a crucial step toward lifting stay-at-home orders and safely returning to normal life. But while many states no longer report crippling supply shortages, a new problem has emerged. Too few people lining up to get tested. <laughs> so the, the last sentence of the article or the last sentence of the paragraph rather contradicts the first sentences of the paragraph and the whole premise. The whole, the point, the whole point is we need wide testing in order to lift the lockdowns, which by the way, we don't, we can just lift the lockdowns. You can just do it. Doesn't matter. You don't need to get permission from Dr Fauci. You are a free people. You are an elected representative. You can lift the lockdown that you imposed. But they tell us we need the tests. This is so important. People are clamoring waiting to get tested. And because we don't have the tests, we can't treat the virus. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Nope. Got that one wrong too. Cuz people aren't waiting to get tested. There there is an imaginary onrush of people who need these tests. But not, not a lot of uh, imaginary people are able to actually take the real test. A Washington Post survey of governor's offices and state health departments found at least a dozen states where testing capacity outstrips the supply of patients. Oh my gosh, what, what magnificently crafted fake news that is. Look, Washington Post survey, so it's a survey from the paper that's reporting on this, of governor's offices and state health departments, right, Forget the federal government here because they hate Trump so much. So anything the, anything good like having more tests, that can only be on the states. You can only give the state governors and, and health departments credit for that. A do, at least a dozen states where testing capacity outstrips the supply of patients. Look at those words, outstrips and supply. Out, outstrips is the kind of word that you hear w- when it's a bad thing. Like it, there's... Uh, there's just too much and not enough for that thing we're demanding. But the thing that we're demanding is the supply of patients. You don't want a lot of patients. When you're in an epidemic, you want a low number of patients, not a high number. But Washington Post is making it seem like, you, you. oh, if only we had more patients. If only we had more cases. And something tells me that is how they really think. One, because it would have justified their absurd, hysterical, order of magnitude, and then some too high prediction models for the early doomsday prophecies of coronavirus. And two, because it would prevent Donald Trump and others from reopening the country and getting the economy going again and keeping poor old Joe out of the White House. The numbers while rising are well short of capacity and far short of targets set by independent experts. Those independent experts in the lab coats They want more coronavirus patients and they're not getting them, damn it. And they're really upset. This is the definition of a fake problem. In LA, by the way, we're seeing the results of a policy made to address a fake problem, specifically on how the epidemic is affecting the homeless. We'll get to that in one second. First, I've got to thank our friends over at Rock Auto. You know, I love Rock Auto the auto parts store, the old brick and mortar. You ever notice that it never actually has what your car needs? And so you go there, you say, I need the, I don't know, who's he, who's he, what's this? The doohickey doodad. I don't know. I don't know what car parts are called. And then they say, oh no, we don't have that for your model. So then they go online, probably to rockauto.com. Then they order it and then they charge you double. rockauto.com, skip that step family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. And the website is so easy to navigate. Even I can do it, which is very impressive stuff Uh, right now. Cut out that middleman, cut out the hassle, especially in a time like this where online makes it a whole lot easier. Go to the guys that I trust, rockauto.com. Go there right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and then write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, in there, how did you hear about us, box? so that they will know that we sent you. Over in LA, they have clamored to address a fake problem. Or at the very least, we could say they've created a very inefficient solution to a real problem that they haven't dealt with for decades. And that is the problem of homelessness. There are homeless people all over Los Angeles. When the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Arcetti, got elected, he said he's going to deal with the homeless problem. He passes, a, I think it was a $1.8 billion bond or something like that. Don't quote me exactly, but a lot of money to try to deal with the homeless problem And the problem got worse, not just a little bit worse. In that guy's first year in office, homelessness increased 16%. 16% in one year. So all over the place. I mean, if if you go to downtown LA, like the areas around Skid Row, the areas where like Hunter Biden hangs around, it looks like you're in a third world country. Or, or even worse. I mean, it's even more grotesque in a third world country because you know that you're in this land of prosperity and yet they're tolerating this whole, this actual tent city in downtown LA. You see that kind of thing in Hollywood as well. You see that kind of thing in Brentwood and, and Beverly Hills. Well, not as much Beverly Hills, but you see it in really nice neighborhoods. I mean, huge tent cities. Uh, you know, certain places in LA, where they have really a lot of local control, like Beverly Hills, they have dealt with it. So it shows you the problem can be dealt with, but not in LA proper. So you got all these uh, homeless people and then you've got an epidemic. Yikes, that doesn't sound good, especially if it's highly contagious, especially if it's as deadly as all the experts told us it was in the beginning, which now appears not to be true. What were they going to do with the homeless people? LA came up with a plan. The plan was to secure hotel rooms for the homeless people of course so you get them this is at a time when people can't really afford to get their own hotel rooms but instead if you don't work and you hang out on the street and you do drugs and you do whatever then the city government is going to get you a hotel room so they they didn't just get a few dozen hotel rooms a few hundred hotel rooms they got 15,000. 619 hotel rooms across the state. That's as of Monday. It's the project room key initiative from the governor's office. So not just, not just Los Angeles, but also the state government of those rooms. Do you know how many are empty? Take a wild guess. Uh, about 50% of the 15,619 hotel rooms. 7,700 remain empty. Government's paying for those hotel Well, the government's not paying for anything. You're paying for those hotel rooms if you live in Los Angeles or through the state initiative, California at all. But it remains totally empty because the doomsday prediction models didn't come true. Homeless people willing to live on the street. Heaven forfend that the authorities go and say, hey, go to a treatment center. Hey, go to an asylum. Hey, go to prison if you're committing crimes. They would never do that. They are willing to put them up at the Ritz and, uh, you know, or maybe, maybe not quite as nice as the Ritz, but you get the idea. And the homeless people don't want to go. An ineffective solution to a problem that was way overpredicted. And then when they're trying to make up for it, when they're trying to explain themselves and say, well, yeah, okay. 2.2 million Americans didn't die. Like the Imperial College study said, like the prediction models on which we based our entire policy that threw 30, 40 million people out of work. Yeah, sure. It didn't, it didn't happen. And yeah, the lockdowns didn't really do much at all. And yeah, things are going fine as people reopen. They can't admit that. Even though the facts make it pretty clear, they can't admit that. So look at, this is like fake news par excellence from the Hill, right? The Hill website, here's the headline, Texas North Carolina, Arizona, rising cases as they reopen. Now we know that some states are reopening like Texas, North Carolina, Georgia. It's kind of funny that they don't mention Georgia in here. We know that they do have rising cases as they reopen. So you got one, two, three, four, five paragraphs insinuating that there are all these rising cases and it's because we're reopening and really we should probably lock down. They're talking about the New York Times. Only when you get down to the sixth paragraph, do you get the real news story. So here, here we go. Sixth paragraph. One reason for the increasing number of cases in all three states is that they are all seeing a significant rise in testing, which means more people carrying COVID-19 are being identified. It seems like an important detail. <laughs> You're saying so the, the reason that we're, we're not actually seeing more cases, we're seeing more positive results because there's more testing. Don't you think you should control for that? Like this, this headline is actually not true. We have no evidence that there are or that the cases are rising. We just know that the diagnoses are rising because the testing is rising. Don't you think all those lab code experts might be able to control for that sort of thing? I don't know. Next paragraph. With more testing, we expect to see more cases. North Carolina Health and Human Services Secretary Mandy Cohen said Monday at a news conference. Oh, you expected to see that because the mainstream news media didn't expect to see that apparently, or maybe they did and they just wanted to fool us. Not all states that are reopening are seeing increased numbers of coronavirus cases, and there are significant variations across the country as states move forward with various phases of reopening. Now, you and I knew that. You and I knew that not all the states that are reopening are seeing a spike in cases. Do you know why? Because the first state that they tried to make a big deal of this in, was Georgia. Do you remember Georgia was the first bold state they're going to reopen. We were told there was going to be death and carnage in the street. It was going to be mayhem. Those idiots, those rubes. Oh, just you wait until, and then it never happened. Then it never happened. And then it passed out of the news. I didn't even have to check in to see how the death toll and everything was going in Georgia. I, I didn't have to Google it. Do you know why? Because I knew that if things were spiking over there in Georgia, then that would be the only news story anyone's talking about. That would be 24-7 CNN. That would be all over the Washington Post and the New York Times. This is so sad that you can now predict the media in this way. The fact that that story was not in the newspaper, was not on TV, told me everything I need. It told me more truth than had the reporters actually been reporting on it. Then we finally got, they finally admitted here in the Hill. Georgia, one of the earliest states to start reopening, has not seen a spike in cases. And in fact, had a slight decrease. Florida, similarly, has been mostly flat. Florida, a state that did reopen, barely shut down, and is full of old people. It's the state that old people go to. Yeah, no spike, mostly flat. So that head, about that headline. All three states, All three states that they're even talking about are also not seeing problems with hospital capacity, a key metric. You know, the reporting here is actually pretty good. You got to hand it to the Hill for reporting. But those editors who write those headlines seem to be contradicting the reporting. That happens throughout the media and it's because the reality has contradicted their insane prophecies. LA now, as a response to this, is saying that they're going to reopen. So L.A. has I, I mentioned, keep mentioning L.A. because they've been the worst city on this issue. They've actually in the entire country they have been the worst city on managing this, getting the numbers wrong, and getting the response wrong. So they said they were going to keep us locked down as everyone else is reopening. They're going to keep us locked down until July. Now they're saying, well, maybe it'll be early July. They're starting to, to reopen a little bit sooner. Uh, I have a message for Los Angeles and for all of you. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to the bunk bunk science before, behind the lockdowns rather. And then we'll get to Joe Biden who says that we need a president who believes in science. I guess fairly, allegedly that's Joe Biden. First though, I got to get to our friends over at Ebb Sleep. You know, it is very important to get enough sleep every night. If you're having trouble falling and staying asleep, it's time to try Ebb. Ebb comfortably cools your forehead, helps quiet the racing mind and promotes the natural onset of sleep. The mind's normal way of dealing with stress and stress, stress, stress and challenges is to be on guard or more vigilant, the reverse of what's needed for a restful night of sleep. So what Ebb does, it's actually very simple. Ebb has this cooling, calming nature that is designed to interact with the way the mind body reacts to stressful situations, allowing one to reach restorative sleep quicker so that they can be at peak performance the next day. It's an amazing feeling. I've tried it on. You put it on your head, and you immediately get this very cooling sort of sensation that goes through, and it calms your thoughts, and it can help you sleep. Ebb sleep understands the uncertainty you may be experiencing at this time. They want to help. Our listeners can get 25 bucks off your order by using promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to save and continue to try Ebb risk-free for 60 nights to confirm it's the solution you've been looking for at tryeb.com slash Knowles. Let us help you get the sleep you need. Remove the risk from your purchase. T-R-Y-E-B-B.com slash Knowles. Tryeb.com slash Knowles. Promo code Knowles to save. Order today. With everything going on, you should get the sleep that you need and deserve. So LA announces they're going to open a little bit sooner. Supervisor Catherine Barger for LA County says, Today, the Economic Resiliency Task Force met for the second meeting and I set a goal to reopen LA County by July 4th. July 4th. July 4th. Read more about our collaboration with sector leaders to revitalize businesses and get employees back to work. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I don't care what these people say. I don't care what Catherine Barger says. I don't care what Eric Garcetti says. I don't care what Gavin Newsom says. They're wrong. They've been wrong the whole time. They're, they continue to be wrong today. I'm not going to remain locked down until July or whatever. I don't care. You know, we, we've been saying this for a while now, and I think this is the point. These people can only lead us where we want to go. They, they are not dictators unless we allow them to be dictators. They're not autocrats unless we allow them to be autocrats. I look around Los Angeles, the cars are moving. There's more traffic on the road. Businesses are reopening. Whether the city tells them they're allowed to, or not, as a response to what people are doing themselves, the politicians now are backing down because they know they got nothing. They got absolutely nothing. They got no science on their side for one. And we'll get to that question in a second, but two, you know, they got to be reelected and they know that they're pretty unpopular right now. So I say, we keep pushing that on. I'm not going to wear a mask when I walk, when I go on a hike, when I'm out in the sunshine in the, in the open air, I'm not going to stop working, just not going to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to ignore Catherine Barger. I'm going to ignore Eric Garcetti. Obviously some of these regulations, you can't get over, you know, you can't force a restaurant to reopen, but I strongly encourage restaurants, just reopen, flout these stupid orders based on nothing that have now transparently become arbitrary power grabs by feckless politicians who are simply trying to maintain the illusion that they've got power over you. Just ignore it. It's, if they had credibility, we would listen to them. They don't. So that's my, that's my opinion on this issue. How, could I be clearer about it? I'm not sure. It's already effectively over. That's the thing. At least here. I don't know. I guess it varies city by city, state by state. According to Apple mobility trends, We are quickly approaching pre-COVID levels in terms of driving and walking. So I'm not saying, like, I I know it sounds like I'm rallying the troops and I'm saying, we have to go out there and fight the powers. And I'm, I'm not even saying that. I'm simply saying the politicians don't have credibility. And so people are ignoring them and they ought to continue to ignore them. You can see it from the mobility trends. When you look at, you know, the trends that Apple is measuring on people's cell phones for where they're walking, how much they're moving around, that number plummeted at the beginning of the lockdown. Now it's just creeping back up again. Same with driving. Uh, That's that's not even prescriptive. That's descriptive. And that's a good thing. Effectively, we are getting out of this. How did we lock down in the first place? This, This is amazing. And no one is talking about it because it's so embarrassing. The American Institute for Economic Research uh, just published this piece. Which genius scientist with a big gray beard and a lab coat who has degrees from Harvard and MIT, and which one do you think gave us the idea for a lockdown? Oh, uh, it wasn't any of them. It was a 14-year-old high school girl Yes, the, the idea for the lockdown as a response to the epidemic came to us, not from the exalted Dr. Fauci, not from the, our amazing soothsayer scientific priestly class, not even from the elected politicians. It was a 14 year old high school girl, 14 year old high school girl who was the daughter of a scientist at Sandia National Laboratories, uh, She devised a computer simulation that showed how people, family members, co-workers, students and schools, people in social situations interact. So she builds the computer model. She discovered that school kids come in contact with about 140 people a day, which is more than any other group. Based on that finding, her program showed that in a hypothetical town of 10,000 people, 5,000 would become infected during a pandemic if no measures were taken, but only 500 would be infected if the schools were closed according to this high school girl's computer model. The girl's name, which I won't say because it's not her fault that we created an international policy based on a 14-year-old girl's <laughs> science model. So I'm not, not going to say her name, but her name does appear on the foundational paper arguing for lockdowns and forced human separation. That paper is the targeted social distancing designs for pandemic influenza from 2006. You know what this story reminds me of? This reminds me exactly of how we got the bans on plastic straws. That's another hysteria that has caught on around the country, if not around the world. You you remember back in the olden days of like six months ago, we used to have plastic straws that we could use when we would drink out of cups. And then one day they banned the straws for some reason. We had to use those stupid paper straws that just turn into pulp and you have to eat them. How did that happen? Was it because some scientist in a big lab coat with a big gray beard who's, you know, really super smart and educated uh, told us that we had to do it? No. Was it from some elected politician's imagination? No. It was a nine-year-old boy. Nine-year-old boy, fourth grade boy who did a school project, tried to estimate how many plastic straws people use every day, called a few companies, tried to extrapolate from there, and then started... A nonprofit activist movement to try to get people to not use straws, and then when that didn't work, to try to get the straws banned. Not based on science, you know, science with a capital S and a trademark over the E. Not based on the guys in the lab coats, not even based on the ethical and political discussions among our elected representatives and among ourselves. No, fourth grade boy. That's the kind of science that we see all around here. And that's the kind of science that the left believes in, including Joe Biden, who says we need a president who believes in science. We'll get to that in a second. First though, I've got to thank our friends over at Liquid IV. Now is not the time to let your body get dehydrated. You need to stay healthy, okay? And Liquid IV is an easy, healthy solution for dehydration. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you faster and more efficiently than water alone. If you're dehydrated, try Liquid IV. It's the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Proper hydration is crucial for your immune system. It can boost your immunity. Uh, Liquid IV has got more vitamin C than an orange, as much potassium as a banana, packed with vitamins B3, B5, B6, and B12, vitamins known to help your body defend against infections. That might be helpful right now. huh? Liquid IV in a 16 ounce a glass of water can give as much hydration as two to three bottles of plain water. Uh, really great stuff. Obviously, it's used a lot for like athletes and things like that. It's not exactly me. But if you have a couple Coca-Colas with the boys, as some people have been doing lately, even over the internet, uh, Liquid IV can uh, help you feel a little bit better on that too. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Target, Whole Foods, and Costco. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at checkout. 25% off anything you order when you use promo code Michael at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today, liquidiv.com, promo code Michael, and you can find them at Target, Whole Foods, or Costco. A lot of science that doesn't seem particularly scientific, and that's the science that the left wants us to believe in. Joe Biden tweets out, we need a president who believes in science. Now, you know, we actually have a clause in our constitution that uh, prevents there being a religious test for people to uh, hold office. And the way that Joe Biden is talking about science, the way that the left is implementing science is religious. It's fundamentally religious. It's not based even on the premises of this very narrow understanding of natural science of the last few hundred years, it it isn't based on that. The way that they talk about it, the way that the LA County supervisor and everybody else, they say, we're going to reopen. Oh magic, oh magic crystal ball, we are going to reopen on July 4th, so long as science and data tell us that it is okay. Yes, the almighty science and data are letting me know that exactly on July 4th, we are allowed to leave our homes again and have an economy and have a politics where we debate issues. Thank you. Praise be to you. Peace upon you, science and data. The science and data that bases international policy on a fourth grade boy's science project. A few phone calls that he made. Of course, sort of science and data that begins with a 14-year-old girl's exper- uh, experiment, 14-year-old girl's model, and the models turn out not to be so great. That's the science that we're talking about. I, I think we need to, we need to ban the word science. We can't use that word science anymore because it doesn't mean, it's it's not a useful word because the way the left uses it is in a religious sense. The way the right uses it is in a modern scientific sense, you know, in that very narrow way of empirical uh, inquiry and that sort of thing. But even that doesn't get to it. The word science refers to the word for knowledge. The way that science is used throughout history is, it includes philosophy, it includes uh, natural investigations, it includes all knowledge. When one group tries to argue and say, we have the knowledge and no one else has the knowledge, that that is not very helpful in our politics. <laughs> okay, Presumably, we can look at knowledge and we can have debates. And the way that the left uses science is to shut down the bait, d- debate and to say that the expert in the lab coat is going to make all of our decisions for us and he just happens to agree with us. And so that's going to be our science. To say nothing of the obvious... Uh, problems with a a group claiming to believe in science and then denying the humanity of little babies and pretending that boys are really girls and girls are really boys and there are 56 other genders as well. Uh, It's just not a useful term and we should all stop using it. Speaking of uh, unuseful terms, stupid terms coming out of Joe Biden, Joe Biden has a new nickname for President Trump. Uh, It's pretty, pretty lame. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, We will also get to the way that Trump is responding, both to Joe Biden and to Nancy Pelosi. Then a shocking deathbed confession from Norma McCorvey, the woman who is Jane Rowe in Roe versus Wade. Or is it shocking? I don't know. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I've got to thank you and remind you, by the way, that we're going to be doing a backstage. Remember those? Wednesday, May 27th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And it's time to share even better news. Even better. The double tumbler is back. Remember a few weeks ago when you signed up, you got two tumblers, not just one, but two. It's double as good. Then it went away, but now it's available, except it's only available for our most exclusive membership tier, all access. You get everything. You get two more hours of the Ben Shapiro show, exclusive Q and A's, new all access live shows, you know, which is not really even a show. It's more of a hangout you get double the tumblers. That's very important. Do I have my second? I do have my second tumbler here. Good. I'm going to need it when we get to the Joe Biden bit. (laughs) Uh, Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, join all access, get 15% off with coupon code Knowles right now. Dailywire.com slash subscribe, coupon code Knowles. See you right there. We'll be right back. Joe Biden has a nickname for Donald Trump. You thought Trump had good nicknames? Well, wait till you hear Joe's nickname for the president.
1: They failed to get this money out to the folks who desperately needed it to stay afloat. Is it incompetence? Corruption? Trump was out there tweeting again this morning, I call him President Tweety. Reopen the country, end of quote. How are we supposed to do that if you're sitting on the money small businesses need in order to stay alive. Stop tweeting about it. Get the money out to Main Street now, it's there, it's been passed. This pandemic is hitting everyone
0: hard. We need serious, competent leadership now more than ever. President Tweedy, I call him President Tweedy, yeah, it took me it took me about three years to think of that one, but I think it's pretty good. I think it's, I'm, I'm gonna send it into to Bob Hope, see if he uses the joke. <laughs> <laughs> president Tweedy. That's very lame. <laughs> that's not a good nickname. <laughs> you know, Donald Trump came up with some of the best nicknames in recent political memory, right? You had low energy Jeb, little Marco. You had the crook. Crooked Hillary was a stroke of genius. Crooked Hillary t- totally nailed her. Sleepy Joe, another stroke of genius. At the time, a lot of people said, Mr. President, why aren't you going to call him creepy Joe? Because they were all talking about how Joe would smell people's hair and stuff. No, that wasn't as good. The attack on Joe Biden is not that Joe Biden is some secret villainous mastermind pedophile. No, that's not it. It's that he's a senile and doddering man who, even in his prime, wasn't particularly smart, wasn't particularly with it. That's the attack. It's a much more effective attack. You can see the Trump campaign leaning into this even more in really creative ways. Trump campaign just released an ad. It's sort of an ad, I guess. It's produced by the Trump campaign. And it's a sort of mock, you know, true crime show uh, that's just making fun of all those sad, senile aspects of Joe.
1: My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Corn pop was a bad dude. I'm oh, I'm, I'm not
0: going nuts. He'd be the oldest president in American history. Are, Are you the really? Churchill?
1: All right, Chuck. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, it's Chris, but, but anyway.
1: It would put 720 million back in the workforce.
0: We choose truth over facts. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of what we call Truth, truth Over Facts. Today we're examining the curious case
1: of Sleepy Joe and you know, the thing. Our investigation begins at a recent campaign stop in Texas. Join us next
0: time when we will work with a renowned sketch artist who will reveal who or what is a lying dog faced pony soldier. (laughs) Oh man, what a great, what a great series. I hope there really are more of these. It plays it plays to so many important points. One, Trump and the the Trump campaign certainly gets the country. Okay, do you remember a few weeks ago there was the Lincoln Project as a group of uh, disgruntled former Republicans who hate Donald Trump and conservatism, apparently, and conservative policies, and so they, they ran this big ad campaign called Mourning in America, but it was M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. It was, it's Donald Trump is really bad. It's Mourning in America. He's really bad. Don't vote for Trump. Trump. You know, it just, it seemed like an ad from 90s TV, not like an ad from 2020 digital culture. Well, this is the opposite of that, right? What, what the Trump campaign realizes is that stuff's so dated. It's so played out. People want to be entertained a little bit. They don't want this to be a scary ad. They don't want it to club them over the head. They want it to entertain them a little bit. Ronald Reagan was very good at entertaining people. Donald Trump, very good at entertaining people. And true crime, just as a genre of entertainment, is, is almost certainly the most popular one in the whole country. When you look at uh, podcasts, true crime shoots to the top of the charts. People love those true crime shows. And so it's a mock true crime show making fun of Joe Biden. You're, no, look, no one's afraid of Joe Biden. Certainly none of our foes around the world, but no one in the United States, no one's afraid of Joe Biden. Okay. They can say, oh yeah, he's creepy with women and okay, whatever. No, nobody, we've known Joe for a long time. It's fine. He's, and now he's a sort of frail, older gentleman. So really no one's afraid. The real attack is he's a joke. Make him into a joke and laugh at him. It's going to have a much, much more uh, damaging effect on him in 2020. So that's how he goes after Biden. He goes after, in a similar way, Nancy Pelosi, even off the cuffs. You remember the other day, Nancy Pelosi referred to Donald Trump as morbidly obese in this gratuitous comment on a television show. So Trump was asked about that, and he, uh, he just swatted her away. Last night, Nancy, figure out of the house, Nancy Pelosi called you morbidly obese. I just wanted to know what you had to say in response. Oh, I don't, I don't respond to her. I think she's a waste of time.
1: These people are sick. Pelosi is a sick woman. She's got a lot of problems, a lot of mental problems. We're dealing with people that have to get their act together for the good of the country. Okay, thank you very much.
0: I like this. I like this kind of response. I mean, I wish we lived in a time, it would be much better if we lived in a time where people had civility and grace and just sort of really witty repartee. We don't, okay, we don't. That's not the time that we live in. We're not going to have sort of Churchillian zingers going back and forth necessarily or or some kind of really elevated speech. This is the kind of world we're living in. And if we're living in this world, I want Donald Trump to be on my side. Uh, Nancy Pelosi called you fat. Oh yeah, I think she's crazy. Now it seems like a tit for tat, but it's not really because what Pelosi did was go for this kind of physical issue that Trump has that a lot of people have namely being a little overweight. Who do you know that isn't a little overweight, right? I mean, this is, this is America for goodness sake. Everybody's a little bit overweight. So that doesn't play as well. You go for a physical thing that describes virtually everybody. What Trump does is then go for a mental thing, the men, which doesn't describe everybody. No, very few people in this country are as crazy as Nancy Pelosi. But he goes for that mental thing because that is psychological. That is what is, that is using your faculties of reason. That is what we're really doing when we engage in politics, right? We're dealing with issues. The leaders of this country are using their minds and their brains, hopefully, to guide ourselves. Doesn't matter what they look like necessarily. Winston Churchill was a big fat guy too. So no one, I don't think uh, that, that was like a real knock against him. And so I think Trump is focusing on the more important thing here. Now... What that means into 2020, who knows? I think that the left knows that they're, they're really not looking good. Pelosi's not playing well. Joe Biden's certainly not playing well. So you're gonna hear a lot more shenanigans about mail-in voting. They're gonna probably try to minimize the conventions and uh, Republicans would be crazy to let them do it. We should have a big showing for these conventions. We should make sure people show up to vote because I think when people are engaging with the reality of this campaign and the reality of uh, voting, you know, real real life in person, uh, I don't think it's going to go very well for the left. Big story. Maybe a big story. They say it's a big story. I don't know that it's a big story. Norma McCorvey, who is Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade. Norma McCorvey was this woman who was kind of used by the pro-abortion industry and then in the mid-1990s she became pro-life. She became a pro-life advocate. She was born again, you know, described herself as an evangelical Christian. There's now, they're now saying that she had a deathbed confession, that it was all a lie. She didn't really become pro-life. She, I guess she didn't really become Christian. It's unclear from the trailer of the movie. And she really just got, she just did it for the money. You know, they, she got a lot of gifts from the pro-life movement. And so she just did it for the money. They, they bought her off. They paid her to do it. That, that's the claim in the mainstream media. We don't know. The movie's not out yet. I watched the trailers. You know, there's nothing in the trailers that suggests that she really does recant her pro-life or Christian views. So I'm skeptical in the first place. Then I look at the people that the film is talking to. The film considers an ex-pro-life, now pro-abortion, anti-Christian pastor named Rob Schenck to be an expert on this issue. So already I'm looking at that. I say, okay, this movie does not have a lot of credibility. Seems like this is mostly hype to promote the movie. If I were a film producer, I know a lot of film producers. (laughs) I've been in Hollywood a little while. This is the sort of thing you do to garner attention, get some headlines, try to get people to pay for your movie. And they don't, they don't quite really give you anything in the trailer. So it's just like every other movie, you know, the best stuff they got is in the trailer. And then you see the movie and it's kind of disappointing. I suspect that's the same thing going on here. Uh, it, the, the articles that are coming out about this don't really explain s- certain things. If it was all an act, if it was all an act, why did Norma McCorvey, who had a lesbian girlfriend, why did she break up with her lesbian girlfriend upon her conversion? You know, and the, this girlfriend gave, you know, pretty raw interviews of being really, really in anguish about this whole situation. So why did she do that? That, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, why, why did she do it for the money? Presumably she could have gotten more money from the pro abortion groups, right? The pro abortion groups are, are way better funded in this country than the pro-life groups are. So why, why didn't she just stick with her original team? And what does that even mean to be paid off? Did they, you know, fly her around the country and, you know, bring her to speak at places? Okay. Is that really a payoff? I don't know. I, I just, it doesn't really seem that compelling to me, that convincing to me. And we also have, we have video, you know, we got it on tape of Jane Rowe at least a number of years ago, describing why she became pro-life.
1: Most of you won't recognize me or my real name. It's Norma McCorvey. I'm also known as Jane Roe, the plaintiff in the Supreme Court case, Roe v. Wade which legalized abortion in America and changed our nation in an unprecedented way. Back in 1973, I was a very confused 21-year-old with one child and facing an unplanned pregnancy. At the time, I fought to obtain a legal abortion. But the truth be told, I have three daughters and have never had an abortion. However, upon knowing God, I realized that my case, which legalized abortion on demand, was the biggest mistake of my life. You see, abortion has eliminated 50 million innocent babies in the U.S. alone since 1973. Abortion scars an untold number of post-abortive mothers, fathers, and families, too. You read about me in history books, but now I'm dedicated to spreading the truth about preserving the dignity of all human life, from natural conception to natural death.
0: So uh, pretty convincing. I guess she could have been putting on an act there for, you know, I don't think there's a ton of money in it, but uh, maybe she could have. I don't know. My takeaway from this is who cares? Uh, The left is presenting this as though, here we go. Now the pro-life movement is on the ropes. The pro-life movement is dead. It's all a sham. What are you talking about? I don't think this hurts the pro-life movement at all in any way. If it's, if it's not true, If this is all just hype to sell this movie and they're misrepresenting what she really said, then, you know, it's typical lies from the pro-abortion movement. If it is true, if she really did have a deathbed confession that says her whole pro-life advocacy was a big sham, then Norma McCorvey's a liar and who cares anyway? Who cares what she says? If she was lying then, she might be lying now, or if she's lying now, she might have been lying then. If she repented, great. If not, then, you know, we're no worse off than where we started. If she lied and, and if now she's giving this confession that it was all a big sham, I'm still glad that pro-lifers gave her the benefit of the doubt. I'm still glad. And if the, and if she got some honorariums or she got, you know, flown around the country or something, I'm glad she did. She's obviously a damaged woman who was used by the pro-abortion movement. Abortion itself uses, ch- destroys people. so. If she said she had any inclination that she was going to switch over, I'm glad we gave her the benefit of the doubt, even if she lied to everybody. Because there are still many, many other very prominent abortion supporters who became pro-life. Even if Norma McCorvey didn't, or if she did, but then she went back, or even if it was complicated, okay. There's still so many others who were so clear about this. I think of Dr. Bernard Nathanson, founder of NARAL, you know, the biggest abortion rights organization in the country. Bernard Nathanson was a doctor, abortionist, uh, who became vehemently pro-life because he saw the reality of it. And he, he admitted that the the pro-abortion movement lied a lot. Abby Johnson, another great example. Abby Johnson worked at Planned Parenthood, was very much involved in the reality of abortion, has now become a major, major pro-life advocate. Why? Because she saw the reality of it. In fact, you know, if Norma McCorvey never, never did, or if she did have this deathbed confession or, or whatnot, one explanation of that is that she never had an abortion. You know, she says, I've never had an abortion myself. I was not able to get an abortion before that court case. Well, that would explain it because the huge pro, pro former pro abortion, now pro life advocates, the, the ones who became most clearly pro life are the ones who had most clearly seen the reality of abortion. You know, it's, there are just so many people who've gone from the pro-abortion direction to the pro-life direction. Very few people have gone the other way around. I mean, you just, even i in my own, anecdotally, I myself, I, when I was a teenager, I thought abortion made perfect sense. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand the objection. You know, I grew up in a secular kind of culture. I would have called myself an atheist or an agnostic. I just thought, I don't see what the big deal is. Then I had a conversation with a bioethicist and she convinced me. And I saw, I just, just through argumentation, I sort of saw the problem at the the heart of abortion. I saw the reality of it. Then, obviously, over time, my thinking uh, deepened. Certainly on the nature of human life and human dignity. And and now I look back and I see. I realize there's no argument at all for abortion, other than this kind of selfishness and materialism that we're all steeped in in the pop culture. So I you know I I hope Norma McCorphy for her own sake uh, was not a, a liar all those years and a and a secret defender of abortion. But you know if she was. That's too bad. And uh, the movement, the movement moves on with the people who, who know the reality of it. Before we go, I just have to get to this. This is, this is the funniest story I saw. I think that this actually tickled me the most from the New York times. We talked yesterday or the day before about Tesla and about how Elon Musk took the red pill. So he says, you know, think for yourself, question the liberal narrative, right? So the headline is Tesla owners try to make sense of Elon Musk's red pill moment. They're trying to make sense of it. They want, they're going to go return their cars because now Elon Musk might not be a total dyed-in-the-wool liberal. His politics might be slightly complicated because he's questioning the liberal narrative. You know, the, the best part of this whole Elon Musk thing is it tricked a bunch of liberals who bought electric cars, which, frankly, gave me some ideas. I thought, maybe we should now convince the left that uh, those paper straws, those really frustrating paper drinking straws that turn to pulp, that they're actually a neo-Nazi hate symbol so that we can get those banned and go back to the plastic straws. So it gave me a lot of different ideas. But that w- the basic point was they found out that Elon Musk's politics were not totally liberal and therefore they, they got to ditch the car. If you think Teslas are problematic, just wait until you hear about Ford's. Just wait until you, (laughs) apparently people don't know this about Henry Ford. Uh, Henry Ford had some problematic politics, you might say, Uh, particularly when it regards uh, that certain nomadic tribe, (laughs) that ancient tribe known as the Jews. Uh, Henry Ford published a four-volume work called The International Jew. Book one of that is The International Jew, The World's Foremost Problem. Baldur von Schirach, one of the Nazi leaders, uh, said, this is what he said of Henry Ford's book. I read it and became anti-Semitic. In those days, this book made such a deep impression on my friends and myself because we saw in Henry Ford, the representative of success, also the exponent of a progressive social policy. Henry Ford was the only American mentioned in Mein Kampf, mentioned glowingly, Hitler himself writes, every year makes them, referring to the Jews, more and more the controlling masters of the producers in a nation of 120 million persons. Only a single great man, Ford, to their fury, still maintains full independence. So, you know, Henry Ford, he's got some baggage here, right? And uh, people still buy Ford cars. That is, to the broader point on the Teslas, something perhaps we should say to the left. Uh, the personal views, the politics of people who create products or who write great works of literature, who, who create great works of art. Who cares? It's kind of my same reaction to the last story we were talking about. I don't, I don't care. I don't know Henry Ford. Henry Ford doesn't mean anything to me. I like Ford cars. I think Mustangs look cool. Fine. Arthur Kessler was a great, a uh, great novelist, wrote one of the, one of the great anti-communist novelists of all time, Darkness at Noon. He was I think a pretty credibly accused of rape didn't seem like such a great guy. Some of the great I mean we know this just from celebrities all around us, a lot of celebrities whose work we really enjoy are dirty, rotten, no good, terrible people for most of the history of art, we've just ignored that sort of thing because we don't really care, but now we've become in this so highly sensitive, just seeking to be offended by anything and outraged by anything culture that Forget Arthur Kessler. Forget Henry Ford. Forget all these people. Now, just because Elon Musk suggests maybe he's not a total progressive liberal totally 100% of the time, the New York Times is publishing stories about how people don't want their Tesla cars anymore. That is a trigger happy culture. That is a culture that would appear to have too few problems. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. Supervising producers Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of the Andrew Claven Show. Journalists think hydroxychloroquine is a scandal, but they treat Obamagate like their own backsides. They can't find it with a flashlight in both hands. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin.